Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the River Community Church podcast. If you want more information about the church or things that are going on, you can visit therivercc.com or you can check out our app at app.therivercc.com. Well, that's what we're talking about these next three weeks is building our life on purpose. This new series is called My Why, and we're going to be challenging each one of us to be asking God, what is our why? What, why are we here? What is his purpose for us? I believe God has put a calling on each person. I don't believe it's just the preacher that gets a calling or the worship pastor. I believe all of us have a calling. And it may be in one area that I'm not passionate about, but you are. And we're going to look at that today. Brian's up here. Everybody say hi, Brian. <laughs> Brian's been our college pastor the last seven years. He's been with us all 20 with a brief stint overseas uh, for five years, and then God brought him back. Uh, but Brian, as much as anybody I've ever known, has always said, Lord, my yes is on the table. I'm willing to go wherever you call me to go and do whatever you tell me to do. And because of that, God has began to move in his family's heart, and they'll be launching a new church plant in our town over by Tennessee Tech with the vision of reaching as many college students, young adults, and people overall as possible with the good news of Christ Jesus. And so I thought it'd be perfect if today we do something we've only done once before in life at our church, and that's a, a tag team service, okay? So Brian's going to put his wrestling tights on and preach half, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, fortunately for everyone, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> so we're going to go back and forth, and if you like it, great. If you don't, it's okay. We probably won't do it again for another 10 years, so you'll be all right. Uh, but this morning, we're asking the question, what is your why? What is it that disturbs you and your soul that motivates you to want to take action to do something to help others and to glorify God? What is your why? Uh, Brian and I both were at a conference years ago where we got to hear a speaker speak on this, and he referenced this poem from Sir Francis Drake. Sir Francis Drake was an explorer and a navigator for England. He traveled around the world, and, and he was the first one to, to go around the, the bottom of South America and come back up the western side of the United States. In doing so, he claimed the west coast of the United States to the glory of his king of England, and they declared that that was England's, and they had the first ever Protestant worship service in the Western Hemisphere. Well, in his exploration, he would write prayers to the Lord that we have copies of today, and one of those is one that I love that challenges me when I start to get a little comfortable in my face. Listen to this as I read. It says, disturb me, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we've dreamed too little, when we arrive safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas, 
where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future into strength, courage, hope, and love. Sir Francis Drake, 1577. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and I want to challenge you today to have your heart open and invite God to disturb you this morning into the things that disturb him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that years ago you disturbed me and you put in my heart this desire to start a new church. It's been such a blessing and such a crazy ride and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Thank you, God, for disturbing me. Thank you now, Lord, for disturbing Brian. And I pray, Lord, that as he shares and I share, that your word would become clear to all that are here and we'd walk away hungry for what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to start by asking the question, what, what disturbed Jesus and, or what disturbed God? Is it, is it even okay to ask that? Like, I think sometimes we have this picture of, of Jesus, maybe from some uh, paintings from, from our past of this meek, uh, almost sheepish looking guy standing there with his fingers. You ever seen something like that? Like, we have this picture of Jesus that, that he didn't get passionate about things, but we think he did. Yeah, I think if you look throughout the Old Testament, there were things that, that disturbed God. Things he saw in his people where they, where they weren't, when they weren't walking with him or when they were treating people differently than, than the way he, he wanted them to treat others. And then when Jesus stepped on the scene and we believe that he is the visible image of the invisible God and the perfect picture of what it looks like to be human, he was disturbed. And so we wanna ask first, what are some of the things that disturb Jesus? And, and we're not gonna get to all of them. There were several others. We just pulled out uh, a few to, to mention. But the first one, we, we believe, and scripture teaches, one of the things that disturbed Jesus is spiritual legalism. Spiritual legalism. Now, to, we're gonna look at a, a story, an event in, in Matthew chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, you wanna turn there, the, the scriptures will be on the on the screen. But to kind of give you an idea of, of what's going on, it's uh, the Sabbath day. And for, for the Jews, the, the Sabbath was, was very important. It's an idea and a day that was built into the very fabric of creation as a rhythm of rest and work that God even himself modeled for his people. He also included this idea, this day of Sabbath, he included it into the law and the guidelines uh, that he gave to his people to help them know how to walk with him and how to walk with each other. But since that time and over the centuries, man, and in the account that we're looking at, the, the Pharisees, the, the Jewish leaders, they added rules and they added traditions 
to accompany those guidelines, those principles that God had given them, and they'd gotten so far away from the heart of the principle and from the heart of God. And that's really what legalism is, right? It's when the practice and the traditions go far beyond and they miss the heart of the principle. And then people are judged on those, on those traditions or those extra rules rather than being judged upon the heart of God and his heart for them. So that's kind of where we're jumping in, in Matthew chapter 12. It starts this way in verse nine. Then Jesus went over to their synagogue. The synagogue was a place of worship. The temple was in Jerusalem, but outside of Jerusalem in, in the cities, there were synagogues. They would come together here. They would worship. They would, they would pray. They would, um, they would teach. They would read the scriptures together. And so that's where Jesus was. He was in one of the synagogues in the city. It says, where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. And the Pharisees, those religious leaders we talked about, they asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? And in parentheses we have there, because they were hoping that he would say yes, so they could bring charges against him. They were saying, Jesus, what do you think? Are you gonna go against the rules, the traditions of our people? and do something that we consider to be work on the Sabbath? Or are you gonna just leave this man? Because you could always wait till tomorrow because he doesn't have a life-threatening disease at this moment. He has something that he's probably dealt with for the majority of his life. And waiting a day is, is not gonna hurt anything. In fact, I, you know, I, we read through the Bible last year as a, as, as a body, and then as we were reading through the gospels at the end of the year, and now just in my, re my own reading, I'm going back through the gospels again. I, I asked the question, why is Jesus always doing these things on the Sabbath? You ever thought about that? It's like, you, you would have made a lot of more people happier if you had just waited a day or done it the day before. But it seems like he was always doing these things on the Sabbath. And I think the point is he, he wanted to, he wanted to draw out what was in people's hearts, what was in those Pharisees' hearts. So that's what's going on. So Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered, verse 11, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. Like that sheep's pretty important to you. It's valuable to you. Instead of leaving it, in the ditch or at a well where it's fallen, you're gonna, you're gonna pull it out, right? Because you don't want it to die because it has value to you. Verse 12, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? <laughs> yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus got the heart of the law, right? He didn't care about their traditions. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored just like the other one. So Jesus healed him. You know, it's easy for us to call out legalism in others, right? It's easy for us to look at, oh, that's, that's just legalism. I, I wanna stay away from that. In fact, when, when we started the church, one of the things that, uh, that the small groups uh, of people did that were joining in the beginning, they went door to door and they were asking people, hey, do you attend a church anywhere? And if not, why not? And a lot of those folks that said, no, I don't go anywhere, they said, well, because 
I don't have the right clothes to wear. Some of them said, I, I went into a church and they looked at the way I was dressed and they said, hey, if you want to come back, you need to dress a little nicer. We were blown away by that. That's not the kind of place that we want to be. That's not the kind of body we want to be. In fact, it, Steve wanted to name the church Blue Jean Baptist. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> You've probably heard him say that. Fortunately, there were some other people that said, yeah, maybe not. Let's think, let's think about this a little bit. Hey, hey, it's got a good ring to it. It rolls off <laughs> it the tongue It does kind of well. roll off the tongue. Saying, That's it rolls right. off the tongue well. Yeah. BJB. Welcome to BJB. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> It's easy to point that out in others and to see that and get, you know, get frustrated with it, right? But I wonder if we were honest, could we notice it in our own lives? Do we hold others to a different standard than God does? Can we be so blinded by what seems to be necessary rules or our way of thinking that we miss God's heart for us and for others? that we fail to see the beauty of God's work in someone else's life. It's like those Pharisees, like they're not looking to see the beauty of this man healed. Rather, are you following our rules? And that disturbed Jesus. And I wonder if it disturbs you. That legalism, it, it literally kills the gospel. Because when you begin to look at rules more than relationship with Christ, it will choke out your joy. It'll choke out your love. Now, when I'm talking about legalism, I'm not talking about living by the gospel. Yeah. I mean, Jesus had a lot of teachings that challenged me to be holy and righteous and pure. I'm talking about what Brian's talking about, these rules that the, the church of that day was, were adding on to the Word of God already there. It's the idea that when I went to a a Christian school that I loved. It did great for me. But your your hair as a guy couldn't touch the collar of your shirt, right? Like that one inch traded you from holy to unholy, right? The length of your skirt, you couldn't show your ankles because we know the little bump on the ankles might cause a guy to stumble, right? Uh, I mean, it these ideas that somewhere along the way, somebody said, well, if we're going to be holy, we've got to set standards so that everybody knows where the line is. If you're looking for the line, you've already missed the whole point. Yeah. You need to be looking for the Savior. When Christ changes your heart, it changes the way you see everything. And it adapts the way that you want to see others. And you no longer see them as somebody else that you need to fi find out what they're doing wrong. You see them as others in a journey with you that you want to help in the journey travel with Christ. But another thing that made Christ disturbed was spiritual weakness. Luke 11, 14 to 22. Flip over to Luke 11, 14, 22. This, I've read this story. It's in multiple different uh, gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But some reason this time, it jumped off the page to me. It jumped off the page because I felt like when I read it this time, I saw Christ pointing out his power and his authority that we ignore all the time. We have a mindset in our, in our country, this victim mindset that is not of God. 
It's the mindset that because our parents did something when we were growing up, we are victims the rest of our life. Because somebody in our school did something to us, we are victims the rest of our life. Because of something that happened to us when we were seven, eight, nine, we're victims the rest of our life. That is not what Christ teaches. He teaches that when we come to him, the old is gone and the new has come. He teaches that we are children of the living God. He teaches us that we are forgiven, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, rescued from our sin, and set with our feet with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In this passage, again, Jesus is being challenged by the religious leaders of the day. Luke 11, 14 to 22 says, one day Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak. And when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. Who wouldn't love that, right? I mean, like, that's awesome. Jesus cast out a demon. If you're the sibling of this person, you've never been able to talk to your brother or sister, and all of a sudden they are carrying on a conversation with you. Hmm. Miraculous. But some, but some of them said, no wonder he cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Others trying to, to test Jesus demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. He knew their thoughts, so he said, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. You say, I'm empowered by Satan, but if Satan is divided and fighting against himself, how can his kingdom survive? And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own ex exorcist? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you said. But if I'm casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. Listen to these last two verses. For when a strong man is fully armed and guards his palace, the possessions are safe until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him and strips him of his weapons and carries off his belongings. Jesus is saying, guys, listen, it doesn't matter how strong you think the enemy is. Satan, in his, in his safety of his castle, with all his power and all his weapons, has been defeated. He is no longer in charge. I have all power and all authority to take anything he has. And, and Christ wanted the disciples to know that he had that power. But I feel like as Christians, Satan's always whispering in our heads that we don't have that kind of power, that we don't have that kind of authority, that we just have to live this defeated life with temptation and defeat. A comedian many years ago had his own show, and he got famous with his phrase, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. That's why when I saw this happen, I was tempted and the devil made me do it. Listen, the devil can't make you do anything. You need to cast that lie out of your vocabulary and know that in Christ, you have authority over all things. In Christ, you have power over all sin, all addictions. Now, does that mean that, that you can overcome all things like that with no problem? No. It may mean that the body of Christ is to do what it's supposed to do, which is come around you and support you and strengthen you and encourage you and pray for you. But it does mean this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's Philippians 4.13. So many times people use it for sports. I'm just <laughs> going to tell you it's true in life. You can do all things that God calls you to 
because he gives you the strength. What we're hoping today is that you'll be disturbed, that the Spirit of God will rise up something inside of you, and the temptation will be to say, well, I can't do that. I'm not sharp enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough to accomplish that vision for God. That must be for the preacher to do. That must be for Brian to do. That must be for my next-door neighbor to do. But if the Spirit of God is rising up inside of you, I want to challenge you to let it disturb you today and say yes to God because he has the power. He has the authority. Proverbs 29, 25 says, Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Would you be willing to quit fearing people, circumstances, the devil, and your past, and begin trusting God for the future? I love thinking about that, you know, the power of God working in, uh, in my life or in the lives of people around me. Or I love it when, when God reveals something, you know, in my heart, my mind as I'm studying scripture and it's like, oh, this totally, this all of a sudden makes sense, right? Or I, I get to a point in my life where I look at where I'm at in my walk with Jesus and where I'm at spiritually and I, and I look back and I think about, man, how far I've come. But it's easy sometimes as you grow or as you become to understand things or as you've seen God move in your life or maybe even through you into somebody else's life, else's life then it's easy sometimes to, you know what? I'm kind of proud of that. I kind of... God, I like what you're doing. I like what I'm doing because of you. I think one of the things that also disturbed Jesus was spiritual pride. I think spiritual pride disturbed Jesus. Here's what I'm talking about. When someone's apparent level of spiritual maturity or knowledge causes them to think more highly of themselves, and to judge or look down upon their brother or sister. It drives me crazy. It disturbs me, especially when I see it in myself. Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 18. It's a, it's a parable. And Jesus used these stories, used these parables to, to, to kind of illuminate a point. And, and oftentimes the, those stories were directed at something that was going on, something that he was teaching about, something uh, for the people that, that were listening. And in Luke 18, he, he begins uh, this way in verse nine. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. That's a pretty good definition of spiritual pride right there. He goes on to tell the story. He says, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. We already brought up the Pharisees, uh, some of the Jewish leaders. They were, they were a sect of, of Judaism that were considered to probably be the most conservative. And they thought of themselves as the people who understood the scriptures better than anybody else. So you got a Pharisee and then you have a tax collector. And the tax collector might have actually been a tax collector, which would have been completely looked down upon in their day. They were considered tra traitors of the Jewish faith, uh, or it just could be a catch-all term for a sinner. So there's a tax collector and a sinner, a, a Pharisee and a tax collector, and they went down to the temple to pray. 
the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. And I feel like I got to pray it this way, okay? I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. It's almost like he's saying, God, you're pretty lucky to have me. Aren't Mm -hmm. you proud of me? I'm doing pretty good. And thank you, I'm not like that other guy. You ever said that? But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. If our spiritual maturity or our knowledge of God or our advancement in theology, if it compels us to anything but love and becoming more like Jesus and treating people the way that he did, then I think we're guilty of spiritual pride. When I went to, uh, to seminary many years ago, seminary is kind of like grad school for ministry. And, uh, I went to a place where, you know what? I believed very similarly to most of the people there. It was of a theological, a theological persuasion, particular. And, and, you know, I kind of believed the way that most of them believed. But what drove me crazy sitting in the classes and listening to some of these guys talk, they took a whole lot of pride in their theological stance. And honestly, they looked down upon people that didn't believe the same way that they did. And it, it drove me crazy. It, it, it made me mad. I, I don't know, just a quick note. I don't know if you've uh, heard about what's going on at Asbury University. Have you seen any of this? Yeah. Uh, a week and a half ago, they had a normal just chapel like they would every Wednesday morning. They, always, they usually last an hour. There's no special plan, not a like major significant um, uh, speaker or, or music or, or it, it wasn't planned. And they did their chapel and then they kind of ended and most of it was done, but there was a handful of students, college students that just stayed in the room and they just felt like they needed to keep praying. And they were praying for each other and a couple of them started confessing some things, confessing some sin in their lives and they they, they were repenting and other students began to hear, hey, there's still some people in the chapel that, and students started coming back. And what started as a chapel service a week and a half ago, there are people that have still been there and day after day, night after night, 24 hours a day for the past week and a half have been praying, confessing, repenting, worshiping, reading scripture together. It's been a beautiful thing. And one of the best things I've seen posted about it, because there are some, they're like, oh, you know, it might not be a real thing, or I'm going to doubt what's going on there. And I loved what somebody posted. They said, you know what? We pray for revival. 
And then we doubt or try to make excuses when it actually happens. Mm. That's spiritual pride. Mm. I think that's what Jesus was talking about. You know, if your faith produces pride or contempt over gratitude, then you need to confess. I need to confess and repent and honestly just spend more time with Jesus and let him break my heart for the things that breaks his heart. Spiritual pride disturbed Jesus. Does it disturb you? Well, I would say for me, it, it disturbs me because I, I think the folks that have the most spiritual pride are those that have forgotten that it took the same amount of forgiveness in the blood of Jesus to <laughs> forgive them as it did anybody else. Yeah. For each one of us, the Bible says, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Now, it's not okay if we stay in that sin. It's not okay if I say, you know what? I'm just a sinner. That's just the way I am. You'll just have to get over it. No, that's not okay. I've got to turn away from that sin and turn to Christ. As we see in that parable that we're reading uh, of the, the tax collector crying out to the Lord in repentance and humility. But then there's also another side, and that's spiritual deceit. When people use the things of God to manipulate people, to deceive people, to extort money out of people, when they use the church for evil purposes. And sadly, we've seen that in our culture. We've seen that in our nation. We've seen that in the world. And that's part of the reason why there is so much disbelief and dissatisfaction with the local church is because there is an area of insincerity mm. and deceit. Yeah. Jesus dealt with this. Uh, perhaps one of the most, most common passages, Luke 19 45 to 48. Now, this is in multiple gospel uh, records, but I picked this one out, uh, and I'll share with you why in just a minute. But Luke 11, uh, 19, 45 to 48 says, Then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals and sacrifices. He said to them, The scriptures declare, My temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. So I picked this, this rendering of the story because I feel like it gives the greatest clarity to why he ran people out of the temple. He says, they, you have made it a den of thieves. They're selling animals. They're selling these sacrifices. So you come as a common person to these priests, and you have your, your sheep or your goat or your, your pigeon, whatever it is, and it has to be a perfect sacrifice without blemish. And so you show up, and they go, oh, Hate to see this, Steve, but, you know, your, your sheep there has got a little blemish. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll cut you a deal. I'll, I'll, I'll buy your sheep for $12 because even though it's, you know, it's not perfect, I can use it, you know, in my home. And I, I'll sell you the one without blemish here for $499.99. It's a bargain for you, right? You're my friend. And they're cheating the people, deceiving the people using the things of God to manipulate and deceive them and steal money from them. And it fired Jesus up. <laughs> and another one of those passages, it talks about he made a whip and drove them out of the temple. Now, you would think that if this took place, that he wouldn't get to go back to the temple. Like, that makes such a fiasco that he's not invited back. But read the rest of the story. It says, after that, he taught daily in the <laughs> temple. Yeah. But the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law, and the other leaders of the people 
began planning how to kill him. But they could think of nothing because all the people hung on every word he said. You see, all the people knew the cheating was going on. They all saw that there was a problem, but no one had the courage to call it out but Jesus. It disturbed him. It disturbed him, and he did something about it. And the people that were gaining from it, they were mad as a hornet. They're trying to find a way to kill him. But because of his spiritual authority, it wasn't because he threatened them with power or money or, or to crush them with an army. It was because they knew he was telling the truth. They knew he was right. And when you're being disturbed and you know you're right, the authority comes from the word of God and from the king of kings, not from your ideas or your power or your money. And so as you hear the Spirit of God disturb you about something and you seek to make an impact, know that the power of God goes with you and that you too might be used to clear that temple. You too might be used to impact. Well, that poem, that poem that talked about being disturbed, it's a poem that challenges me because as a pastor even, I can get comfortable in my Christianity. I can prepare a message. I can love people that are easy to love and get comfortable as a pastor. And I don't want to. I want to continue to be disturbed by the things that disturb God. And I was thinking, how, how do we respond to this? We let it soak in. And uh, I was trying to think of some practical examples of people that, that have. Pull out your listening guide. On the back side of that's the announcements. I don't think this is a coincidence. I, I didn't plan this till this morning. I thought, I need some practical examples. And I started thinking about some of my heroes of the faith, like George Mueller, who was disturbed by the, the orphans that were running around the, the city that he lived in, and so he started an orphanage. But then I started going through the list on the back of the flyer today, and the first thing is greater some ministry to connect moms and daughters together. That was started by somebody in our church who had a desire to have a mother and daughter event to connect moms and daughters. And the cool part, for those who are teenagers here, it was the daughter, a 15-year-old, that had the vision to launch it. And the ladies said, yes, let's run with it. The second one, the Boston Butt Fundraiser for their mission trips. That was started for our Alaska mission trips, which was begun because Jeremy Cook, who was our missions pastor years ago, had a burden to see a church is planted all over the country, and Alaska was the least church state in the nation. And so he began taking a trip up there with our, our people, going up there to share the good news of Jesus, and we're still going because the need is great. We were disturbed by it, and we still have people that are disturbed by it and keep going every year. The next one, the exchange a ministry to international students by a young couple in our church who saw all the international students at, at college and said, we need to help them know the love of Christ while they're here. What can we do to build a bridge to those nations and those students that are, are here for a short time? And they began to build that bridge through the exchange. The next one, Anchored in Hope, a ministry for bereaved mothers. Again, started by someone who'd been through the pain themselves, wanting to help others to get through their hard season. And last, the Cookville Ninja Challenge, 
started by me because I wanted to get better shape. <laughs> Just kidding. It's a fundraiser for a ministry. It's an adoption ministry started by people in the Upper Cumberland in Cookville who said the only adoption agencies are in Nashville and Knoxville. We need something here because we need to make sure these kids are getting loved on and adopted and adoptive parents are getting the help they need. Each one of those were started by someone who was disturbed by something they saw around them. But instead of just complaining and whining about it, they asked God, what is my next step? And they did that. Brian also was disturbed in the same way. Our, our question for you this morning is, is, what disturbs you? What disturbs you? Maybe it's one of those four things that we mentioned that disturbed Jesus, that spiritual legalism, spiritual weakness, spiritual pride, spiritual deceit. Maybe you look at poverty around us and it, it, it disturbs you or injustice. Maybe it's modern day slavery or, or, or trafficking. Maybe it's homelessness that you see around us. Maybe it's the fact that a big part of the world doesn't have access to clean water or adequate sources of food. Maybe you see people around you that are far from God and that just disturbs you because you want them to see and have the, the same hope that, that you have. Or maybe it's on just a more personal level. Maybe, maybe you see someone in your family that's ravaged by addiction and that just it disturbs you and you care about them and you want, you want to help. Maybe it's you see single parents that are working so hard to, to, to care for, for their family and, and they just struggle. Maybe, it's, maybe you see dishonesty in the workplace and you're like, ah, man, that's not who we are. We're, there's a bunch of us in here. We, we, we say we're, we're followers of Jesus, yet we, we still do those dishonest things in our job. Maybe it's, maybe it's the foster care system you see and it's like, it's easy to say, man, man, there's so many things wrong, but what are, what are you doing about it? Maybe, maybe that, that disturbs you. What disturbs you? Something that's disturbed me for a long time, and maybe it's just because I've seen uh, my kids and, and raised them and seen them grow as, into, into teenagers and into young adults disturbs me as a generation who for many of them, they've had Jesus completely misrepresented to them. We see a generation of, of young people that are, that are raised up, that are, that are turning into adults who are distracted and anxious and depressed a generation that's growing up without spiritual fathers and mothers and mentors because their parents or their elders are too distracted and busy themselves to pour Jesus into them. A generation who, who doesn't know the truth of who Jesus is and, and how much he loves them. And that disturbs me. And do we get to the point where it disturbs us so much that we've got to do something about it? And I look around the room and I see so many of you that, yeah, you've been disturbed and you've done something about it. 
and you've said, you know, I just can't, I can't stand by. You know, that's the season of life that our family's in, feeling like we, we need to step out and start another church that has a vision of hope and, and love for people because, man, we wanna see people from every generation coming to know the good news and the hope of who Jesus is and growing in that and becoming people who themselves are then pouring into others. That's my why. This series we're starting today, that's my why. And you might be sitting there like, what, what, if, what if I'm not disturbed? <laughs> what if none of the things you mentioned leapt out to me? What if I'm not disturbed? I think there's a couple of reasons. Maybe you're, maybe you're too comfortable or too distracted. Maybe life's pretty good and I really don't want anybody, especially God, to upset things in my life because then I might have to do something about it. Or maybe you're afflicted. Maybe there's just a whole lot going on. Maybe there's health problems. Maybe there's family struggles. Maybe there's things going along and you need some people to come and help bear that burden with you so that then maybe you can take your eyes up a little bit and see what's going on around you. And maybe just not in proximity to some of the things that breaks God's heart. So I would say, step in, lean in. You know, Steve mentioned this conference we went to many years ago and this, this prayer, this poem was read and, and the, uh, the pastor that was giving that message at the end, he said, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer. Oh Lord, disturb me. And a few weeks later, I had bought the CDs of the messages that, that were there. CDs, you know those things? They used to be these things that played music or message. Anyway, Meredith, my wife and I, we were headed off uh, for uh, a little weekend and, and uh, I was playing that message in the car. And it came to that point where he said, I want, I want you to pray. Oh Lord, disturb me. And she looked at me and she said, did you pray that prayer? <laughs> True story, right? Yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah, because we were going through a season at that point in our lives where God was <clears throat> disturbing some stuff. And it ended up leading us overseas. Not that that's where God leads everybody, so don't get nervous, <laughs> all right? That just happened to be what he did for us. And, you know, that's when it's big things like that, I, I think that's honestly easier sometimes than these little things that God disturbs us with. So man, talk to this neighbor or this coworker and kind of put myself out there and say, hey, notice you've been struggling. I want, I want to tell you about the God I serve. Sometimes that's harder. But we want to invite you this morning to pray that prayer. So if you would stand up with us. And I want to challenge you to have the courage to pray this prayer. Okay, because Jesus said, you know, when you follow me, you gotta take up your cross daily. In essence saying, there's some dying that has to happen when you follow me. Some dying to yourself, some dying to your comfort. We're gonna read this prayer together that Steve started the, our time together with. And I wanna challenge you to read it. We're gonna read it out loud. 
And I want to challenge you to mean it. Let's read it together. Disturb Lord us, Lord, Lord, when we are, we are too well, well pleased with ourselves, when our, our dreams have come, come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrive safely because we sail too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. Amen. Amen. We want to give you a chance to respond today, to respond to whatever the Lord may be disturbing you with. Uh, this invitation on my left will be if God's wrestling with something on you, and maybe it's time for you to just say, yes, Lord. Maybe he's been bugging you about jumping in and serving with, with teenagers or, or volunteering at a Christian ministry or something, whatever that is, if he's like stirring something, I want you to come and just lay it at the altar. Or can you do it in your seats? Of course you can. But there is something powerful about when you step out and others see you, and there's a little bit of accountability between you and the Lord. Now, if you go over here to do that, nobody's going to be there to, to pray with you. That's between you and the Lord, solo. But if you want someone to pray with you about these things, then come over to this side over here, to the left side, and come and kneel and pray. And one of our pastors or deacons or ministers will come, and they'll pray with you about whatever that is. They'll just say, hey, how can I be praying for you? And you just share with them, and they'll pray over you. And then if you have yet to give your life to Jesus Christ, if you are disturbed because you don't yet know the hope of Christ, you have not yet found that forgiveness, you've not let, yet been forgiven, then come forward and let me pray with you and encourage you down front. Let me just help you understand what that looks like right in the middle. And then perhaps there's just something going on and you really need to take some time and unpack it and just share with somebody what's on your heart. We have a prayer room in the back and you're welcome to go back there and there'll be someone back there to pray with you and listen. As Jimmy leads, you just do whatever the Lord tells you to be obedient. And if he's not leading you to come forward, pray for the person on your left and right. Do whatever he's telling them that they will be willing to do as well. That's Jimmy Flake.